Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. God will hear from Stellenbosch. Um, basically, let me to the Lord. Um, in 2001, the end, or was 2002, 2002, and we, we've been friends ever since, awesome to have him here, but he's made friends with some of our people, so I'm going to ask Carl to say something about Carl, and to introduce him, and then give him the mic. We can think of a combined name for that. <laughs> yeah, so I've only met Carl once um, before um, this weekend, and Carl actually um, came to Secunda last year. And we had a, you know, just a nice long cup of coffee with Carl um, in our home, myself and Sumeri, and it really just meant so much to us um, to be able to um, speak to someone who's outside of your church, but that really loves Jesus. Um, and I can really say, um, yeah, that really meant a lot to us. And yeah, so I really want to encourage us all to open our hearts to Carl this evening. Um, I really, um, well, I know that God has placed a very specific word on his heart. And um, Carl is, um, he has a passion for unlocking your faith, um, unlocking the faith of believers um, in various churches. So we just want to thank you, Carl, for taking the time to come all the way to Secunda um, and and giving us this time um, and we really honor you and we thank you for your heart to, to connect with, with bodies all over South Africa. And yeah, so I really just want to encourage us, um, if there's an evening that uh, you must have your heart open and your notebook ready, um, it's tonight. So we, oh, we really receive you, Carl. Thanks. Thanks for that. All right. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really good introduction there. I must take Carl with me wherever I go. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I was so glad the previous time that I was here, which was awesome, um, I could not bring my wife, right? And this time I was able to bring my wife here. And uh, we've got two other children, Samuel and Hannah. They are staying with friends while we are here. Um, and we could bring our youngest Sakura here. So you would see um, that Sakura is a, is a pretty girl. And uh, um, my other children are also pretty. All right. But you would understand now more why they are pretty. Because it's not because of me. <laughs> but it's because uh, of my wife. Someone said to me a while ago that my children got all my looks because my wife still have hers. So, <laughs> so um, I have, uh, I have no problem with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm secure in that. Um, you know, but so me and my wife have uh, got married 12 years ago, and um, we, had an, we had one of those rare, oh, I don't know how often you get those type of stories, but by the time that we got together, we didn't know one another, or we've met one another, but we didn't know one another at all. It was one of those God spoke type of, 
um, instances and we got together. Um, she was still at that stage um, living in Japan. She decided to, to then leave everything, come to South Africa, um, which would initially be just a three-month period so that we can actually get to know one another. In that three months, a prophet came to us, a prophet's wife came to us, watch out <laughs> for those types. But uh, so the, they, she came to us and she said, I mean, in, I'm not going to give the whole explanation of it, but she felt like this is actually not a getting to know time for you guys, but it's a getting married now time for you guys. And so my wife never went back to Japan. She has just packed, you know, a suitcase for this little period that she would be here and she sacrificed a lot then to to be married um, with me and uh, you know how awesome it is when you follow God's plan and God's will if you would do that if you would do that life will be wonderful if you would just follow God and stay in his will life is wonderful no, <laughs> I lied. <laughs> That's the lie that I believed for a long time. I thought, if I'm going to choose God's will with everything that I've got in me, everything will obviously work out nice. Um, I, our first couple of years of marriage was well, hell would be probably a tough word to explain, but it was, it was really, really tough, really, really hard. Um, and many, many stuff that happened out of that, you know. And one of the realizations that I got, and I kind of believe that I want to just speak to you guys about that. I'm, it was all with a plan. I'm bringing it back to my message. <laughs> Is that I am convinced that Staying in God's will does not mean I will be exempt from suffering. And if you believe that lie, well, you just need to be a Christian for a week to realize there's something wrong in my theology here. Okay. Um, but I, I have a certain portion of scripture that I, I want to I wanna read. You know, I... When the last time that I was here with you guys, I, I, I went back and I said, look, I was at this church. I mean, it's like half of the guys are engineers. It's the most intense, <laughs> meticulous, decision-making people that I've ever found in my life. And so just soon after that, God called me to Stellenbosch to, uh, to start leading a church there. You guys won't believe it. Half of it is full of engineers. <laughs> I'm like, I thought I got rid of them when I left Secunda. And now I... <laughs> All right. Um, so maybe just there's some grace for me to speak to those types. All right. So anyway, I, will, um, I want to quickly take us to a portion of Scripture that you guys probably all know very well. But you guys have always probably had a different approach on that portion of Scripture. And that portion of Scripture is in the book of Revelation. Right. I should have said it beforehand. We probably could have filled this hall if we say we're going to preach from the book of Revelation. Right? And so here we go. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to dare to go to the book of Revelation. And we're going to actually try and interpret some of the stuff in the book of Revelation. How crazy is that? And not just go like everybody else go, um, 
you know, just read it. There's a blessing in that, but we don't interpret that. But. All right, so Revelation 4, which is actually the more well-known portion, we're going to read. So we're going to read it properly. <laughs> we're going to start from verse 1, reading it all the way through. Okay, And then... Um, So, whoa, it's got bionic eyes here. I, so maybe I should read here and you should, guys should trust that I'm reading out of my Bible. And for those that have really good eyes, they can follow on the board. Okay, so here we go. After these things, I look and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. All right, so just, just again, I know we've went through it many, many times, but just imagine the scene quickly with me. Boom. In the spirit. I'm caught up in heaven. Just kind of... You know, there's, heaven is for real. There's so many, I spoke to someone that's reading that book today, and there's so many of those type of stuff. They see the flowers, and they see their, their dead aunties, and all those type of things. I mean, I'm speaking, uh, boom, straight in. I'm in the throne room. I'm in the throne room here. This is where John finds himself. And let's just, this is again, not of the religious mindsets for which we've heard this portion so many times. I just, just hear it with me again what he is witnessing in this place. He says, um, verse 3, And he who was sitting was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and a golden crowns on the head. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sound and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of burning before the throne, which was the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of something, you know, like a sea of glass, like crystal, and like the cent uh, and, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Look. I mean, again, I know, I'm just, I want to re-emphasize it. Let's just read it again. Just shake a little bit that which we've read so many times. We're in this throne, right? Now, firstly, when last have you seen the throne, that thunder comes out of that? You guys probably see a bit more lightning up in Gauteng than we see, well, Mupmalanga, than what we see down in Stellenbosch, right? You guys see some thunder sometimes. But I bet you you've never seen thunder hitting out of a throne, out of a chair. I mean, that's severe stuff. He's going to explain the throne now. He couldn't see the end. You can't see the end of the throne. Around the throne, whoo, just like he's a rainbow. Around the thrones are 24 other thrones sitting on that 24 elders. Then in the middle, there's the, something like crystal glass looking like a sea of crystal. In the middle, these four living, uh, four living creatures, whatever that might mean, with eyes. Again, imagine this, eyes all around. And then he explains them. 
The first living creature is like a lion. The second, no particular order, I might get the order wrong here, is like a man. The other one like an ox. Fourth one like an eagle. Let's, let's continue to read. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss a few verses, go a little bit further down. And he says, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Again, follow with me the scene, which you guys have heard so many times. But just follow it again. So now, these living creatures, alongside 24 elders, throwing down their crowns, throwing themselves on the floor. I mean, we're speaking about these things as six wings, and on the wings are full of eyes. It's like quite pretty odd, you know. And they're, falling, they're falling down, saying, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty. And that goes on forever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Now, you guys have heard this portion. I'll tell you when you guys have heard this portion read out to you guys. That's usually what the worship leaders pull out. I bet you. Carl has pulled that one out several times and said, right now in heaven, right? This is what's going on. The elders are falling down and all those type of things. But you know, for a long time, I was thinking that that portion was trying to describe a worship scene. But Carl, I'm sorry, man. Where is Carl? Here he is. You know what? I'm, I'm more and more convinced that it isn't a worship scene that he's depicting. It's not a worship scene. What he's depicting in there, every big company, let's, let's go quite big. Sasol. All right? That's pretty big. It's, 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 it's a little bit smaller than heaven, but it's pretty big, at least in earthly standards for us. So here we have Sasol. I'm telling you, in Sasol, ultimately, when you go high up, above or high up in the ranks, you will find a room, a boardroom. Now, you've got all kinds of little smaller boardrooms of all the little plants and all the little stuff, I'm sure. But there is the room, the main boardroom. And in that room, all the who's who's, all those that represent authority, that ultimately, while everybody is doing their stuff on the ground, is the guys that makes the decisions, and from there on, things are taking place. You know what I believe that is right there? That's the boardroom of heaven. That's the very place that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came together before the foundation of the earth and had their boardroom meeting and decided we're going to purpose and bring forth man for which we will show our glory. That's the very place that the Father has said to his Son, Son, 
There's trouble on the earth. The only answer to this broken world is you. You need to go down there. That's the very room that the father then would receive his son back. Where all of the heavens will rejoice because the son has come back to his ultimate home. Back to the father's home. That is the very room then that the father and the son had to say to the Holy Spirit, Now you go and be their helper. Now you go and dwell in mankind. It's the boardroom of heaven. Every significant decision of all eternity came from that place. It represents authority of all kind and all time. You got that room. Now let's really read chapter 5 verse 1. We're going to move away from the room now and we're going to go to the, what's the main guy? The MD, the... The guy on the main chair, the guy that sat on the throne where the flashes went out. Chapter 5, verse 1. I saw in the right hand him who sat on the throne, a book written inside on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Now listen here. Listen with me. So, I mean, he's seeing God on a throne. Flashes is going out like crazy. And as he see God, he see God has this massive book in his hand. And this book is covered by seven seals. It's pretty well sealed. You can't open it up. And I'm going to tell you what happens next. John is looking at that. And he's, he's, he's asking and he's, he's considering who is worthy to open up that book. We're looking at the four living creatures. We're looking at the elders. We're looking at this one and that one. But no one is worthy to open this book with the seven seals covering it in the Father's hand. And John is starting to cry. He's like, oh, no one is worthy. No one can do it. And suddenly, all of the focus of heaven shifts on a new thing in that throne room. The Lamb. That was slain before the foundation of the earth. Jesus. And all of heaven is shouting. The lamb is worthy. There is one that is worthy to open up this book. To break open the seven seals. So that we can see what is in that book. Do you want to know what's in that book? (laughs) I'm just asking. I mean, if I was in heaven, I saw that scene. I see a book in God's arm covered with seven seals and no one on heaven even that freaky creatures even the elders none of them are worthy to open up that book and then all of heaven is looking at Christ the son of God and say he alone is worthy man I want to know what's in that book and what's going to happen now is the son of God Jesus is going to break open seal by seal so that we can know what's in that book Because there's certain events, listen here, that need to and will take place on the earth. Seal number one. I didn't put that up on the board. Seal number one. Nations shall conquer nations. Number two, there shall be war. Number three, there shall be famine. Number five, 
Uh, sorry, number four. Uh, counting is working against me. There shall be death. You know what? How many of you are sometimes concerned of what's going on in South Africa? We gather a million people to pray for the nation. People are crying out. People are trying all type of interventions to get this nation to fall into place. And we see bloodshed. We see war. We see famine. That's just in South Africa. All over the world we see ISIS taking over on live feeds, beheading Christians wherever it goes. And I'm going, where is God? He's got the book in his hand. He's got the book in his arm. Listen to me. He's got the book in his arm. He is holding that book. The big mistake that we think is that the book has went out of his arm. God, what's going on? Are you still in control? What's happening? I've got this book in my hand. I've got this book in my hand. These things always had to take place. Then he comes to the fifth seal. Let me tell you before I get to the fifth seal. The sixth seal, just to tell you what's going to happen after that. The sixth seal is the wrath of God that's going to come. Where the kings of this earth is going to cry out, let the mountains fall on us because the wrath of God has come. The seventh seal creates seven trumpets. And then the seventh trumpet is finally when Christ will return. Now the kingdom of this world, Revelation eleven fourteen, has become the kingdom of our God. Chapter, I mean, seal six and seven is pretty significant. You know what is seal five? Just before that significant one. There's a small group of people. It's a small group of people crying out, How long, oh God, how long, oh God, before you come? And then we are told who these people are. They are those that have been killed for Jesus. They are those that have been martyred for Christ. And Jesus says to them, Until your full number has been completed. You know, we speak a lot about what needs to come for Jesus to return to the earth. Unless, I mean, Matthew 24, this gospel must reach every nation. And this, this gospel is preached to every nation. That's our classic verse. And that's true. There's certain other ones in Ephesians 4 that speaks about how the church should look. But no one mentions this one. Jesus is not coming back. Until the full number of people are killed for him. <laughs> you you want to see Jesus come quicker to the earth? Get killed for him. I know I'm saying a tongue in the cheek, but I'm serious in some way. That's not my preach so that you guys will become martyrs. It will be a good idea in any way, but it's a good encouragement. But I'm trying to say to you guys, I'm trying to explain to you guys that we see stuff going on on the earth. And it disturbs us. It's so contrary to what I think the pattern will all play out. We thought it's going to be so much greater, Jesus, but now this is happening. That is happening. People are being killed. 
Christians are being persecuted. Yes. I'm in control. I'm in control. I'm in control. You know, that's the one thing that I want us to know tonight is that God is in control. He's in control, guys. Here's the second thing that I want us to know. It's so cool. I can say first one and everybody knows how to take that note. It's almost like, right? Second point. Like I said, you know, when I got married, so much hearing God, things didn't pan out exactly initially as I thought. Listen to this story. When do you think the epitome of in the will of God can ever be? I tell you the epitome of ever a moment. If ever there was a moment that was so in God's will, it is just crazy. It is the night Jesus was born. I mean... 4,000 years of planning. In fact, there was angels in the field speaking to shepherds. The air was so full of God. It was as if heaven has invaded earth completely. It was so much in the will of God. But there was a prophecy that had to be fulfilled that Jesus had to be born in the city of David, which was in Bethlehem. Unfortunately, the mother of Jesus was in Nazareth. And what happens is, um, was the guy Herod? Herod called a census and said, everybody needs to go back to their city. For Joseph and Mary, it would have been their city, the city of David, Bethlehem. And they're rushing to be in time for the census. No, they're not. They're rushing in time to fulfill this prophecy. Now, it's, they did it on a donkey. Now, I know you guys have heard the story so many times. Just, just, just think of me again here. Mary is nine months pregnant. She's at the back of a donkey. All right? With a donkey, it's about a, a day. Ladies, if you've ever had the privilege to give birth, imagine the day before the baby gets born. It may be... Probably rushed the whole process also a little bit, I'm sure. <clears throat> Sitting at the back of a donkey. <coughs> you know, whoa, Joseph, slow. <laughs> it's, not, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But Joseph knows he's in the will of God. Hallelujah. Things will work out. You know, and as we said now, angels already appeared, everything. And just before they got to Bethlehem, I'm sure Mary, if she was anything like my wife, she would have gone, Joseph, have you organized us any accommodation that side? And Joseph would have said, I'm sure God will provide. <laughs> so they got into the city of Bethlehem. In the will of God, God will make a way. Hallelujah. And so Joseph, full of confidence, knowing that any moment 
a creature will appear and run down the street and says, Come, man and woman of God. You have the Son of God ready to be delivered. I've got a place right here for you. No one preaches, and Joseph gets a little bit worried. But he's sure God will make a way. And so they get into the, the first place where there's usually accommodation, and he knocks onto the door. And he goes, sorry, I've got a pregnant woman. Rings any bells that need to sleep with you guys? No, sorry, we're full. No, no, no. The woman. Sorry, we're full. Yes, Mary is still sitting on the donkey, you know. <laughs> hey, Mary, um, that one is full, but I'm sure God's going to provide for us right here. So, just going there. It, you, you, you know, by the fifth time, Mary is really angry. Joseph, I said we had to get a place to stay. So, finally, Joseph goes, last option. He's like, listen, listen. Please, anything. We'll take anything. Just anything. Anything. Sorry, we're full. No, no, no. Really, anything. Isn't there servant quarters? Anything. Well, we've got some place in the stable. All right. What? He goes back to Mary. By this time, labor is serious. Joseph, quick. Joseph, quick. Don't worry, Mary. <clears throat> I got us place. Where? A stable. But it will be fine. I'm sure, really. Joseph will speak afterwards. You know, I've read that story once and I've thought about that. It just didn't fit my bill. In the will of God, every, I mean, how, how more in the will of God do you want to be? Boom. And it just didn't work out. As we would think it would work out. And God allowed the Son of God to be born in a major, in a stable. I mean, it's just crazy. But in retrospect, it's a story that is actually so beautiful and revealed him like nothing else. The second story, which is almost even more crazier, is a guy called Paul. Now Paul, he's this serious apostle, wanted to take the gospel further. He was just prayed out and mentioned as the first apostle after the twelve. And he is now sent to go you know, into what would be known outside of the Gentile world, outside of the Jewish world, into a Gentile world, outside of what was known, he's going to proclaim the gospel. And Paul is going to proclaim the gospel. And as Paul is trying to go and preach the gospel, suddenly he feels like, whoa, there's resistance here. Holy Spirit, I'm following you. I want to do what you do, and you're stopping me. I'm going this direction. Whoa, the Holy Spirit is stopping me. He's, he's, the guys that is following him is going like, well, what are you doing, Paul? And then Paul says, seriously, this is what Paul says then. I don't know anymore. I'm going to go sleep now. So Paul goes to sleep. In his sleep, God appears to him with a dream. And there's a man from Macedonia that calls him over and says, Come over here, come over here. Paul wakes up and says, I know where we're going. We're going to Macedonia. <laughs> Guys, we are in the will of God here. God has spoken the word of the Lord. I was obedient. I'm going straight to Macedonia. He goes and he goes to Philippi, first city. And he starts preaching the gospel and things are happening. Initially. And then suddenly people get really miffed with him. 
and throw him and his associate Silas in prison. You know, it's just like, this is not working out. God, I was in your will here. I'm doing your work. And I'm ending up in prison. Now again, I mean, this is like, prisons are so romantic for us in the Bible, you know. They were in prison for Jesus. But we are so scared that we can die for a prison, right? No, 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 that's that type of prison. And so Paul is in that prison. Now, now imagine Paul and Silas in that prison. What would you think? You know what the modern Christians will go? Silas, were your dad a Freemason? <laughs> no, no, I just, were your dad maybe a free? This is the curse from your ancestors that's now befalling on me, your associate. I mean, this is the devil, surely. Let's rebuke it. You know, it's all those type of things that do this. That's not what Paul is doing. He's not trying to figure out why, as what we take hours and hours and hours to do. I will not pick again on a specific group of people. I'll try not to. But you know who I'm speaking about, right? Why? It works on in some industries, but it doesn't work with the kingdom. Why? 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 Paul doesn't go there. You know what he does? <laughs> He praises God. What a nacho. He praises God in the midst of suffering when he was smack bang in the middle of God. He started praising God. And at 12 o'clock, you know, the earth shake, prison doors broke open. Paul stays in the prison. The prison guard wants to kill himself because all the prisoners ran away. Paul shouts, don't worry, we're still here. Why are you doing that? Thank you very much. This is what I've been waiting for. Let me tell you. Leading to the Lord, people get saved, and the church is birthed in Philippi. How about that? But you know what we would have done? Oh, man, there wouldn't have been a devil that wouldn't have got a piece of our mind. We would have tuned people. We would have moaned. We would have complained. And we would have reasoned why. Why, why, why? But it's not what he does. He doesn't go there. He worships God. I know you are following God and things are not working out as you thought. Don't go, why? Worship God. And so, in Philippians then, Paul is writing a letter to them. He's, this has happened. This is now the church. If you are part of the church of Philippi, let me just, let, can I tell you, you are not wondering whether suffering is part of the Christian walk. I know a lot of theologies out there, let me say it clear, I'm strong about this, that there is no suffering in Christianity. And that's not true. That is not true. And if you would have told a Christian in Philippi, look, I've got this new gospel, you just, Jesus just going to sort that your life is going to be perfect. They go like, no, no. That's not the foundation of this church. The foundation of this church came from people that was imprisoned, worship God, and this thing happened. And then later on, he writes to them a letter to this Philipp Philippians. You know, Paul, oh Paul, he writes this letter to them while he is in prison. Now, I can tell you, if a 60-year-old in his, in his mid-60s are being imprisoned like this, he's chained like this. They say they put them in blocks like this. 
You don't go to toilet. Right? You build a sandcastle at the back. That's, that's how you operate there. He's a man of integrity. He's not a nobody here. And he sits in that position and he writes a letter to the Philippians. <laughs> Four chapters. Thirteen times, at least now, if I recollect. He uses the word, be joyful. The guy's just, he's just bubbling over. I'm just so full of joy. But uh, Paul, I mean, it's like, come on, I mean. You see, there's something that we need to understand about our Christianity, that our Christianity and our joy and our peace and our righteousness is not dependent on what God does for us and what God do for us. Because so much of our happiness in our life is, oh, Jesus, give me, give me, give me. And I know we've advanced a little bit more, but so much of what we look for in having good Christianity is of circumstances works out well. And I'm telling you, God is sometimes going to keep circumstances from being good. So that you don't look to circumstances for a good life, but that you would look to Him. Tell you what, I've, I've, I've told this story all over, but I had a, in, in, when I was in Wellington, I had a, I had a lady in my community, in, in my small group, that, you know, she was one of these women... She, her husband got, uh, a child got saved out of serious drugs. Got born again, became a minister for God. And she, she had this prayer life. You know there's people, whatever they pray, it just happens. And so she was in community, uh, she was in, in, in small group of us, and she will tell us, look, uh, I've got this problem, but I just ask God to take it away. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that, you know. Next week she would come and says, you remember that I had this problem? I asked God to take it away and he'd take it away. Oh, God is so good to me. All right. And that happened all the time. You know, she started irritating me. And I, I just asked Jesus to take it away and he makes it much better for me. But you know what? I thought to myself, there's going to come a time that Jesus is not going to do it. Because Jesus ultimately don't want you to find your joy in good circumstances. Jesus wants you to find joy in him. That's why a Paul can go like and just be so full of joy that he can't contain himself. Because surely joy is not found in circumstances. So this woman, she had a problem. Her boss was like persecuting her. Not persecuting for her faith, but he was like a bully, if you can get that in the workplace. He was just really mean to her. And so she was praying for a new job. She asked, she's like, will you pray for me for a new job? And I'm like, okay, but I don't think God's going to do it. But I'll. And so she tried everything, but nothing changes. Until I say to her one day, you know what? God is not going to change your circumstances. God wants you to find joy in him, regardless of your boss. And she, that, that evening, came to a deeper place in God. She moved into a deeper place from God, but she said, God, I don't find my hope in my career and my boss and how people treat me, but now you are my joy. If my boss treats me bad or not, I don't care because my joy is rooted in you. That Monday, true story, she goes back. 
to her job. And as she's in her little office, as always, her boss goes straight to her. And she's, he looks at her, and, he, and I mean, she can see in his eyes it's going to be that again. And he is about to tune her. And as he's about to tune her, his tongue got stuck on his palate. So he goes, and he just stares at her for a couple of minutes until she says, um, I believe your meeting is over there. And he's like, oh. and since that day, he's never said one word against her again. But that was not the point. <laughs> the point was that she first had to come to a place that she doesn't care what the boss say. She doesn't care how the circumstances is. But I'm going to find my joy in the Lord. Thirdly, lastly, Philippians 1, verse 21. This is the statement that Paul makes, for me to live is Christ. Yes, I mean, is this like, for me to live is Christ? For me to live is to have a great career. For me to live is to, to have a husband and children or a wife and children. For me, to live is, for me to live is Christ. Oh yeah, and when I die, that's gain to me. That's the statement that he starts off. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But you know what? Paul then brings us into his issue. Paul has is an issue. He's got a bit of a, a difficulty, you know. He's got a bit of a, a sp not midlife crisis anymore, but it's like post-midlife crisis, you know. This is the really difficulty that he has. This is Paul's difficulty. Paul really wants to be in heaven with Jesus. Really. It's just, I really, I, I want nothing else to be with Jesus in heaven. I want to tell you guys something, you know. A couple of years ago, I was thinking of the joys of being with Jesus in heaven. And then I suddenly stopped myself and I said, I prayed this to, to God. I said, God, I don't want to go to heaven right now. There's so many things that I still want to do on the earth. I want to have a ministry that I will do stuff for you. I want to get married, God. I want to have children. I want to raise people. I want to make a difference on the earth for you. And I felt the Lord said this to me. Everything on this earth that doesn't want you to be 100% with me right now is an idol. How many of you want to be with Jesus right now in heaven? I'm telling you, all of us go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I first just uh, want to. I, I, <laughs> just hang on, Jesus. I'll be with you now. Now, I'm not promoting suicide, of course. Because this is what Paul then says. He says, like, everything in me, there's nothing on the earth that has a hold on me. Nothing. But for your sake and for the kingdom's sake, I'll stay on the earth. I'll be with you guys, help you grow and all that type of stuff. But know this, my heart wants to be with God. And then he says a crazy statement. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 29. He says, For it has been granted to you, listen to this, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. If you come now, very mock ad, if you come now and now only to Jesus, you will not only get the opportunity to believe in Him, but also suffer for Him. 
That's, that's, that's Paul's selling point. You know, it's just like, guys, you need to come to Jesus. If you come now, he will not only grant you to believe in him, but you can suffer for him as well. Now listen to this. Do you remember that throne room scene that I just spoke? Now imagine all of us one day appear before God. You know what it says? Every man will appear, every man and woman will appear in that throne room. You know what it says? It says even the biggest Satanist at that day will bow their knees before God. Look, when that throne room and there's flashes and rainbows and four living creatures, no one goes like, I'm not going to worship tonight. Uh, I don't feel like it. No, no, no. Whether you say you bow your knee, that's, that's going to happen. You know, uh, our worship, you know, you know, the worship leaders, they, they might uh, sympathize here a little bit. But, you know, oh, you know, it's been a tough, tough day. You know, it's like, I want to worship now. That day, when we're all going to stand before him, no one is going to go like, yeah, I see you, Jesus. I see the guys falling on their faces and all this stuff. I just really don't feel like worshiping tonight. If, don't you mind? I'm, I'm not going to put up all my hands. I'm just going to I'll just sing along. You know, is that all right? No, <laughs> you're not going to do that. When you're there, you will not but worship God. You don't have a choice. But can I tell you something? While you're on the earth, you have a choice. There is a way that you can glorify God. Listen to me here. If you, this is so important. There is a way that you can glorify God on the earth that you will never have the opportunity for all, in, for all of eternity. In eternity, you cannot but worship God. In eternity, it's not going to be a struggle to worship God. In eternity... That's the activity we do. We worship God. And it flows out of us. Oh man, but on the earth. On the earth we can move God's heart like we cannot even move for all of eternity. But of course on the earth there will be times that everything in us scream. I don't feel like worshiping God right now. And on that moment, if you use that opportunity, that opportunity where everything in your life sucks, where everything in you screams again, worshiping God. It is at that moment when you can move God's heart like never before. And in that moment, even everything doesn't feel like it. You choose to glorify God. You choose to praise God. I'm telling you, you can move the heart of the Father like you could never do for all of eternity. You have an opportunity in suffering to move the heart of the Father. I'm begging you, don't waste your sufferings. Don't waste your sufferings. You're going to one day stand in eternity and think like, oh man, if I could just use that opportunity in that time, instead of moaning, complaining, asking the wise, just glorify God when it cost me something, when it was something against what I want. Oh God, I praise you. It has been granted to you. Listen here. It has been granted to you not only to believe in God. There is a special grace, a special privilege to you all to suffer for Him. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Father, we glorify your name. Because you're worth it, God.
Not because we feel like it. Not because it is so nice at the moment always. But God, we have been created for this moment to worship you. Father, I pray that we will change our perspective of suffering. We will change our perspective of approaching things where we before despised it and asked questions why complain. I pray, Father, that we will turn our sufferings into praising you, into glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. Want to do a song? Carla, can you quickly come up? Can we just do you and Karma, worthy as a lamb, we finish off tonight. Um, <clears throat> let's stand up, everyone. Let's stand up. Let's finish this evening. Um, we're going to sing a song, but right now, um, let's respond in our hearts, and uh, we'll close with a song. Um, in worship, uh, a young lady came up and, and shared a vision. Uh, just amazing. Um, so the picture she saw is that there's crystals that God allows to come from the top and it ministers to our hearts. Knowing where we're at, it looks different because we are different. And, and as Carl was preaching, I just realized a lot of things in church come from the front. The worship band stands in front. We look there. Carl is standing in front. The speakers is here. And, and we look to the front a lot. And it's good. Yet, everything worth receiving comes from the top and it falls into our heart everything we moan about everything we complain about is here because we live here and not there so like Paul let us lift our eyes <clears throat>